I get the feeling that in a well-lit room, you would recommend Visual Studio Code, but in a dimly lit alley, you'd be whispering Vim. Just just stick with Vim. It really just does everything you need. No one needs a mouse anymore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to PHP Ugly, episode 96. I am your host, Tom Rideout. Alongside me, as always, is Eric Van Johnson. Hello. Hello. Hello, Thomas. And uh, uh, sitting out sick today, uh, after professing that he is the picture of health, is John Congdon. I'm afraid that he, he can't be with us tonight. Well, the reality of it, Thomas, is you didn't even need to say that because nobody would have even noticed that he's missing had we gone on with the show. I'm assuming he's having some kind of bowel issue, but I can't be sure exactly. So I know know he's not well. The the, the problem with John is, you know, he's so even-tempered, level-headed, and logical. He really kind of, he really doesn't fit well in the show at all between you and I who seem to yell and bicker a lot so yeah he is he he does act as the foil for us a little bit though (laughs) what have you been up to this week Thomas absolute total chaos as usual uh taking over a lot of duties at work and (laughs) you said duties I did and and it's just yeah today was today was a chaotic day I had uh two kids band concerts in a row this week Mm -hmm. and if you've done elementary band programs you know they can be extraordinarily tedious uh the elementary school stuff very beginner level but uh, i'm proud to say that it was quite entertaining very good performances at the junior high and high school level so it's amazing what those junior high and high schoolers can do isn't it oh yeah I'm like, I, I, when my daughters were in high school, especially, and uh, they, they did uh, high school choir, and I remember going to some of the events and thinking to myself, I don't ever remember any of us being this talented at this age. They're just, they, we weren't. No, we were I'm, not this talented. I'm easily outclassed by my daughter. She is, she is good enough at what she does to believe that she is terrible at it now, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm teaching her all the lessons about how it feels to be uh, grossly uncomfortable with your capabilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned new duties. What uh, what new duties do you have? Anything you can share with us? Talk to us about? Uh, a lot of um, uh, production server deployments and coordinating uh, some of the junior developers. I've told you in the past that I... I am a senior developer in title, but I do very little organization of developers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing a lot of coordination, organization, and task tracking lately. Uh, so it's it's been interesting. It's been fun sort of wielding that power as, <laughs> uh, as iron-fistedly as I can. How many uh, developers do you have under you now? I have three developers under me um but two that i'm working with primarily on these projects the front-end developers that i'm sort of getting everyone to dance together to the same tune Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now your shop is it all php or do you do you dabble in other developers as far as like 
maybe some node or something like that uh, I deal with all of the the real JavaScript the stuff that isn't just implementing a library mm-hmm. um, and I deal with a majority of the PHP uh, and the rest of it would be just CSS HTML front end guys we don't so, we don't really use anything like node or anything else like that well, right so so all your backend is all PHP yeah uh, is it uh, how much of it is I, I know um, you were using Laravel for a little bit are, are you guys uh, mainly Laravel or it's just uh, straight PHP or anything we're all else? Laravel now man all right we've we've fully dedicated every system every every uh, legacy system now has been rewritten into Laravel and yeah we're we're complete 100% Laravel right around the time where I want to use Symfony. <laughs> well, that's got to make uh, things like managing deployments a little easier because at least you're standardized on a, a framework, and so you can start to standardize on a deployment mechanism. Yeah, um, it is a big shop, so we have a lot of people who are in charge of a lot of different uh, operations components. Mm-hmm. Um, different reporting engines and we have load balancing that I don't have to deal with or manage at all, things like that. Uh, but it is nice to have sort of unified face for deployments at the very least. I played a little bit um, this past week with uh, Laravel uh, Envoy. So I, I do, uh, with, with one of our clients, I do a bunch of proof of concept stuff where they, they'll ask, hey, what what would it take to do this? What would this look like? How difficult is this? How does it feel? And I start spinning up proof of concepts and setting setting up the proof of concept stuff to kind of follow our our normal deployment procedure through which this client lives and breathes in Amazon, uh, the AWS service, and we have a pretty complex and well thought out deployment system uh, for the production staging and development environments out there that the team is constantly kind of tweaking and managing and uh, i guess some i actually got some news we talk about there as well but uh but for the poc stuff it doesn't make sense to go through this whole deployment process that that they have for all the other systems and i was looking for a way to just quickly deploy things as i was doing pocs allow me to do just create some code push it and be done with it uh, so I, I've used things like Ansible in the past. Um, my my go-to for for years was just this really well thought out Bash script that I used. Uh, then one of the guys at Diego Dev, Kalen, turned me on to Ansible, which I kind of look at Ansible as almost like a Bash framework. Um, so I started using Ansible for my deployments, and that 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 works really well. And um, but for this POC stuff, since I was in the Laravel project and I was already there and I was already in my Laravel directory, I'm like, let me see how difficult it would be to use Envoy to set up to do uh, these deployment deployments. And gotta say, I'm not unhappy with it. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty simple to do. It's pretty efficient. Um, it's not like Ansible, or or maybe it is. You know, I haven't looked that deeply into it. But like with Ansible, we have an Ansible server. Or we, or we used to. I don't even think we use Ansible anymore, but we used to have an Ansible server where um, we'd submit uh, branches. When, when we when we merged pull requests into the master branch, code ship would kick off and 
it would kick off the Ansible uh, script and it would all deploy automatically. Uh, with Envoy, it's like back in the old days where you know I have to deploy from my desktop. It's not running on a server somewhere. So I haven't really thought through what it would take to kind of automate that, that process. And I don't know if I'm going to even put the effort into it. Like I said, this is all just proof of concept stuff. So. Yeah, I use um, Deploy HQ. Mm-hmm. That's a popular it, one. Yep. Yeah, it ties nicely into Git, and you can set all sorts of configuration files, build groups, commands that are executed before, after, or on the first time, stuff like that. Uh, it's yeah, very nice and flexible. Yeah, we're pretty pretty happy with Code Ship. It's pretty simple. Um, you know, easy to implement. Uh, one tool we've been using, and uh, too bad John's not on because I think John's actually using this now. So we use a, a tool called Scrutinizer, uh, which just kind of does code evaluation and, and grading on code basis uh, based on the code that's been submitted. But John's actually using Scrutinizer to do to do his whole, like we use with CodeShip. Scrutinizer not only analyzes the code, but it does a whole build process and makes sure it passes its test before deploying. I need to uh, pick his brain a little bit more on that and see if we can start to wean off CodeShip. Because not not that there's an issue with CodeShip, but at that point it would be like an overlapping technology that we don't even really need. If I can, with Scrutinizer, if I can get that code analysis, which is how we're using Scrutinizer now, along with a build and deploy process, then I really don't even need a code chip anymore. Yeah, I've used uh, Jenkins in the past for doing build management stuff, but I haven't used much beyond that for like really building, doing the uh, gulp and unit testing and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, I think, again, I think that's something John has some experience in the past. I, I've only played with Jenkins in the past. We had a couple of presenters um, at SDPHP do talks on Jenkins, and it looks super, super cool and really complete. They were using it. It would do this build, like you said, run this unit test. It, it would actually log to things like, uh, I, I don't know if they're using Logly or... Uh, well, it's all modular, so you can use whatever you want, but that also is what makes it so much more complicated. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of SDPHP, you had a meetup this week. Ah, and so did you, right? Peak PHP Ugh. had a meetup, didn't it? Supposed to. Uh-oh. Okay, well, let me talk about mine then first. I'm telling you, we have... When you stepped away from the group, uh, another or, another person stepped up to kind of fill your shoes as an organizer. And this, this individual... Is always so quiet, and he—I'm telling you—he's going—he's going to blow up. He's actually going to blow up because <laughs> Marcus Moore is kind of our third wheel, which is—I I mean that in a loving, caring way. With as far as being an organizer of the PHP community here in San Diego, he was my right-hand man for the Laravel group. Uh, when the Laravel group kind of went away, he kind of stepped in the role with the uh, PHP group, and. He's just one of these cats that he's such a nice person. He's so talented. He's so smart. He's uh, well-spoken. He's got you know just great uh, thought process and a, a real nice person to talk to. 
but he does he does this talk and i've seen him he's done a couple of talks in the past but he's always very hesitant about doing talks and he did a talk um last night on web scraping and I, he just does great talks i i i don't want to be um biased but i really want him to submit a talk to wave php because i think if i get him to give a talk or two in front of a larger crowd a larger php community crowd who are throughout the country a lot more people would have the same appreciation i have for marcus uh he's just a real real gem uh, in the php community and i hope he i hope he continues to grow in that role uh, and i hope he doesn't forget who helped him get there <laughs> but yeah marcus <laughs> did a fantastic talk on web scraping we had a huge turnout um, really? I think we I think we had RSVPs of in the 30s, and we had a turnout of I think I counted a 27 or 28 headcount. Wow! Yeah, so it was a great like 80 percent, 80 85 percent turnout. Um, you know, all the chairs were taken, and it, it was it was really good. Uh, it was I love those sort of meetups like. I always think I like the small meetups when there aren't a lot of people there and we can kind of have these like detailed question, you know, Q and a sessions, but then I get to these meetups where we have a big turnout and especially when there are a lot of new faces or people who don't come month after month and just the conversations that start, the questions that are asked, the general back and forth, it's, it really kind of rejuvenates my passion for things like meetups and get-togethers so how did your it doesn't sound like your yours was as successful though what, what no. happened well i told maybe, you maybe surprise. i should send marcus out to you <laughs> so i had some surprise uh children's performances at school this week mm-hmm. and you know the situation where the teenager comes home and says by the way i have a thing tonight <clears throat> don't forget i told you about it a month and a half ago and then you go through their backpack and there's three letters to you that say don't forget they're going to need this and this and this tonight and <clears throat> so had two of those pop up mm-hmm. and unfortunately one of them was during the uh php meetup here mm-hmm. so i was i very saddened i wasn't able to make that one oh okay. but, but they but they still had it right they still yeah they still had the the meetup uh i believe they talked about uh git I have to look that up. Do, do, do. Well, you remember how we were saying at the beginning we didn't have the the most stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a question from uh, Jeff Post in the chat room. Did you see that? Oh, I no, I'm not even running chat. I'm glad you uh, reminded me. What's his uh, What's his question? So he was wondering how we added Laravel to an existing project. So I, we, I was talking earlier about ah. porting some legacy stuff over to Laravel, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you guys have done similar stuff. In fact, you have you have a Greenfield app that you're probably doing that with, right? Well, no, I mean, that wouldn't be the definition of a Greenfield app is no legacy code, so not exactly. Well, but... that's, that's kind of what we did as well. Um, so we just sort of isolated out the functional components of the old system and built a brand new system parallel to it. So uh, fortunately, it was it was 
mostly a back-end system. It was just PHP logic and not a lot of templating stuff that changes frequently in the uh, in Laravel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just was defining the functionality and recreating it when we could copy and paste it. And when we couldn't copy and paste it, then analyzing the code line for line to find where the breaking change was and porting it over. But I find myself less and less using the Laravel functionality of Laravel and writing very generic classes and instantiating them instead of doing uh, the AD, what's it called? The, the service providers or the the named arguments. Is it facades? What are you? I'm not sure what you're going for. Well, yeah, I've, I'm not using the go, facade, go, go ahead and maul over that for a little bit because I, I do want to dive into this some. Um, so maybe you perhaps you misunderstood me uh, you, when I was correcting you on the Greenfield app. My my point being, you don't wrap uh, a Laravel application around a Greenfield app. Greenfield app's a new app, but we do have our largest one of our bigger clients has a huge legacy application uh, code base in which, yes, exactly what you said, we wrap that into a Laravel application. So we essentially have two code bases going. Uh, There is the legacy app, which has all its components. No, uh, I mean, this predates any composer. Um, There's no um, routing system in there. It's old school Go to this. Go to this file. Dot yeah, like one file per page. Right, right. Um, there's that, which is which is this, ma'am. I mean, just a huge application, monolithic application to the max that our client wanted to get off. So what we ended up doing is we deployed a Laravel application in it. We had to make some tweaks to the the way the routing's handled. But essentially what happens is that, um, I'm trying to remember the exact order. I believe the, the, the order is that when it goes to, when it hits a route, it sees if that route resolves within the Laravel application. Uh, if it does, the Laravel application takes precedence and handles that route. If a route doesn't resolve in the Laravel application, it then gets kicked back out to the legacy app and sees if that route resolves with the legacy app. Um, I I've got to say, it went it it is still going splendidly well. Um, there are some caveats. Uh, we we did we did hit a couple bumps in the road, but all in all, was a fantastic idea. The reason we decided to go greenfield with this particular customer client. And this is the same client, is because that whole process, what one of the shortcomings of it, and one of the problems with the legacy code base was the legacy uh, data structure, the whole database, the architecture behind the database, the way tables relate and the way they're laid out. So we found ourselves even with the Laravel wrapper. We were basically going into all of our models, having to customize the models, change the IDs, change the convention, change the uh, create at date and, and the format of it. And and there was a lot of tweaking with the models. And, and even 
after that, just the way the data was laid out and the way it was structured was a pain. So we decided to sell the whole Greenfield app to the, the client. Um, and we talked about it a little bit on the show uh, a couple shows back, and they bought it. And the nice thing is we can we can dispense with all the legacy stuff and start building new. But the, the Laravel wrapper was a great solution. It is a great solution. And we still, I mean, immediately after implementing it, immediately without even having Laravel handle any of the application itself, we got things like migrations, which was huge. Because right. prior to that, we were manually running. There was there was a huge file that we kept in the directory of all the SQL commands <laughs> that were being no. run. No. So right off the bat, the migrations were a huge benefit. Now, now you can have migrations without deploying an entire framework, but... Our, our goal was to move components over into the into the framework and you know we started doing that it, it was just a very slow process and it wasn't it wasn't going to fix the application or the platform as much as we hoped and that's why we, we've kind of have since pivoted a little bit and have gone with the greenfield yeah. now i i say all that i'm sorry i'll cut you off but i say all that because oddly enough I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, John has written about this in PHP Architect, which was nice. Uh, yeah, he, he actually wrote about wrote, that about a year ago, I think. Yeah, and he wrote about it based on the experience we, we were having with this client. But, um, and going through the talks for Wave PHP, I have probably seen four or five talks of that topic, of specifically. Uh, using frameworks with legacy code, using Laravel with legacy code, updating legacy code. There's a lot of talks around legacy code, and those are very appealing to me because I think as a community, we're at this we're at this tipping point where we have got a ton of legacy code out there, and we've got a platform now that we've kind of pushed through that glass ceiling that had been bumping up for so long. And we have it on a uh, a pretty good pace as far as release candidates and re new releases. I mean, we're up to uh, seven one for sure. Seven two officially released yet? I forget. But things yes. are getting. It is okay. So we're up to seven two, and there's probably a large chunk of frame uh, of code bases out there that are still on five six or or earlier. So there's a lot of interest on how to get these these legacy codes over these humps, and you're starting to see composer packages more and more composer packages requiring PHP seven, requiring PHP seven one. I think Laravel five six requires uh, seven one, yeah, seven one, yeah. So it's uh, I mean. We're, we're no longer waiting for these legacy applica applications anymore. That we're not allowing them to to uh, hold back the kind of progress of, of the platform as a whole. So I see a lot of interest on how to manage legacy code and how to get legacy code current. I think that's going to be uh, at least one or two talks at Wave PHP this year. Yeah, and, and you're going to see a lot of stuff coming up in December of this year because that's when security support ends for 5.6. So we're we're really going to be seeing people in a sudden hurry to update all their code so that it can get up into seven point one, uh, 
And I say 7.1 and not 7.0 because 7.0 gets security fixes until the 3rd of December, but 5.6 gets it until the 31st of December. <laughs> so 5.6 is actually going to outlast 7.0. And it's already outlasted. Uh, oh, yeah, 7.0. Yep, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the one of the interesting things to me, one of my favorite terms has a lot to do with this kind of legacy maintenance, which is technical debt. Mm-hmm. And technical debt means that the complexity of the system takes up a, an amount of time on its own. Just because the system is complex, there's a certain development time for any change. And when you're doing those kinds of ports of legacy wrapped around a framework or with a framework wrapped around it, you're not eliminating a whole lot of that technical debt. So I think mm-hmm. when you're looking to go greenfield versus uh, just updating with some more modern framework stuff, that you have to look into why it is you're doing that and what the the change in technical debt is going to mean for the development cycle in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's one of my favorite one of my favorite terms. <laughs> it's it so clearly describes the problem. All right. Uh, you got a new toy this week, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I, got, I, got a new, I got something that's guaranteed to embarrass me. Embarrass um, you? Yeah. We, I, we're I, gi- we were giving you a pretty hard time about it in Slack today. Yeah. Sometimes I say things. <laughs> <clears throat> I bought a, a 3D printer kit. And 3D printer kit. Yeah, and I, I, only, I only say the part kit because... Uh, it turns out that that there's a big difference between a 3D printer kit and a 3D printer. Okay. So do, I'm I'm on do, day. Do explain. I'm on day four of assembling my 3D printer. <laughs> is that the difference? Is that the difference between a kit and a printer? Is your assembling? That's the that's the first one. <laughs> um, the second the second big difference is that assembled fully assembled 3D printers come with some features such as auto bed leveling and predefined uh, Z-axis endpoints and things that I'm going to have to learn how to do manually. So I'm at the point of assembling it now where I need to wire the electronics of it, the frame, Mm -hmm. this all set up, the extruder, all these components. It's all ready to go and get electronics put into it, but I just haven't done that part yet. But then once that's done, I probably have 12 hours of trying to figure out what the hell this thing is and how it works. And, like, do I need to put hairspray on the heat bed or use a glue stick or painter's tape? Did you realize what you were getting into when you you bought this thing? Mostly. (laughs) Mostly. That doesn't even sound like fun anymore. Now, I will say that the in, the instructions and the parts that came in the kit were incredible. Uh, you, this is a clone of the Prusa i3 kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would not expect the packaging quality to be as good as it is. But it, it's it's been very much pick up this piece, put it here, put it here, next step, pick up this piece. It's in this bag labeled B. Like it's been really nicely packaged. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but it is daunting because it's more parts than I expected. Are, are you that person? Do you like like are you like a Lego person when you enjoy all these small pieces and putting them together? Yes. Okay. I I, I like the correct assembly of things so that you get the final result looking like the picture mm. and there's no extra screws. Uh, and fortunately this kit has been perfect for that. There's no extra or there's lots of extra parts for spares, mm-hmm. but there's nothing missing. Everything is really easy to account for and say, this is what this piece is. This goes here, this goes here. And the instructions have a very thorough breakdown for the first four pages mm. of, of all of the parts that should be in the kit. So you know, lots of small parts. I mean, I didn't expect it to be a thousand parts. I thought maybe it would be a couple hundred, but no, it's a thousand. My wife is is like that as well. She loves she loves those kits, and God bless her for it. She she would buy me the like really cool Lego Batmobiles, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm one of those guys. I I, I have a saying, like I, I'm a huge Batman nut, right? And everybody. Oh, I know. Kn- yeah, everybody knows. My whole family knows. It's they can buy me anything for Batman at, for Christmas and or my birthday or any special occasion, and I'm happy. And they also know that they don't have to worry about getting me duplicates because I have kind of a pretty strict rule of the first time I get something unique as a gift for Batman, I, it typically stays. However, I get it. It stays in the box. It stays packaged, and then I put it away. I I love that. I love having the new package stuff. But I also I'm also a kid at heart, and I want to play with things. So people give me duplicates all the time, and I love that because the duplicates I won't hesitate to take out of the box and play with it and, and check Bring it out. Bring them in the bathtub and exactly. So the the wife would get these really complex Lego assembly kits, and I I would look at them like. That's really cool. Looks really complicated. I'm not taking it out of the box. And she she would be like, no, 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 we're we're putting this together. And and she would have it together <laughs> like within like two or three hours. And it, it was cool. I loved it, man. I'd get these. I, I I the coolest one she did was a Batmobile, uh, the new Batmobile. And it probably took her like four four hours, four or five hours. And she piece by piece assembled that thing it was nice i I like i like that i just i'm not that person i can't i can't do it i i'm the guy i'm like okay look it doesn't look exactly correct but i'm gonna get some crazy glue we're gonna glue this here and i'll get a hammer and just nail that piece we'll just shave that end off it'll be fine you know i don't i'll I'll refactor later i just want to get together we'll refactor and figure out the better way to do it later yeah, but, your uh, Batmobile she... has some erector set pieces in it. <laughs> exactly. Duplo it's block. Like, you know, somehow there's like a you know a paper clip on the backs for some reason. And <laughs> but the wife is very meticulous and she makes sure everything goes in a spot and yeah. Now yeah. this this struck me though when I was building this the other night that this it's an incredibly complicated thing and then I can make, you know, a lot of things out of it once I'm done. And I was thinking about comparative stuff, like the Millennium Falcon Lego model that they sell, which is like four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. How much do you think I paid for this thing without cheating, or did you already cheat? Well, you already told me. So yeah. I don't know how to answer. <laughs> I'm really surprised about three what you get million dollars. <laughs> well, I paid three hundred dollars to get the full kit from Amazon and two spools of filament. Mm. 
but you can get it on Gearbest, which is the Chinese wholesaler site, for less than two hundred dollars. What are, What are your intentions? What do you plan on three D printing? Is Is it anything you can actually say on air or? Yeah, it's not? it's mostly upgrades for my three D printer. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get it working just enough so you can print things to make your printer better, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now my my first like four things that I need to print are a a replacement uh airflow uh for the for the hot end mm-hmm. and then uh belt tensioners for both axes and then uh some vertical support frames. You were a special then, somebody. Have you ever been on uh Thingiverse? Yes. Oh man, I haven't heard that name in a while. Man. Well, so yeah. nice thing about Thingiverse is that you can create different lists. You can favorite any item, and you can add it to a specific list. So I have lists for each kid in my family that I love. So that's all three of them. And I have a list for my wife. I have a list for friends and family. And it's just, I I have the stockpile now of things that I'm supposed to make that'll take me until Christmas to finish. (laughs) So if you're not familiar, Thingiverse is like a Pinterest for the 3D printing geek. Yeah, you can you can download all the models for anything that you see. You can modify the models in all sorts of programs for editing 3D models. Uh, they've got collections for art, utility, toys. Uh, it seems to be pretty unimpeded by copyright and trademark which is nice mm-hmm. there is a, a fair amount of batman equipment really oh let uh, me look at that uh-huh. do a little quick search here uh, oh lots of oh look stuff. at that a couple exactly. of batman yeah. hey uh, i that's funny uh I, I i see this on thingiverse i actually have one Oh, a friend of mine with a 3D printer at, had printed me the Batman uh, cookie cutter. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. So it's up on my uh, up on my Batman shelf. So I'm excited about this. the uh, The possibilities are endless, and I, naturally, I had to get myself another toy to go along with it. So one of the one of the things that they don't tell you when you're getting into 3D printing stuff mm-hmm. is that if you want to make your own stuff. You have to have one of these. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to be pretty precise with your measurements. Yeah, got to have the digital caliper. So I've I've already annoyed my wife pretty well by going around measuring every single thing in the house. Down to tell to everybody the, what, what, what you're holding. It's a digital caliper. So it, it measures things in uh, hundredths of a millimeter. Quite small. So I can slide it here to zero. And then I can put a piece of post-it paper in between it. And I can see that a post-it note is 0.09 millimeters thick. Which is just the geekiest toy I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always wanted a 3D printer. Uh, and and I, I know John's with me on this. We, we've wanted to buy one for the DAO Dev office when we had an office. We just didn't have enough of a justification to do it. But, you know, I just like, 
it's one of those things that's so appealing to me, but the technology is changing so so rapidly. I'm like, I don't want to be stuck with the the old dot matrix printer when you know next week the the jink ink jets are coming out and yeah man I kind of I kind of feel like it's like it's like that whole printer thing where you know before you knew it pr- every printer on the market could scan copy fax and uh, everything else and it's just like there's so much happening in that field I just I'm trying to I'm trying to be patient and the reality of it is. I got one. I would probably print four or five things and then never use the thing again. I, I tell you, I've I've spent hours just browsing Thingiverse, and I, I would use it a million times. I will never stop using this thing. Thingiverse just has too much stuff on it. You need to print a uh, print a Wave PHP logo, man. I'm definitely gonna have something for Wave PHP. Yeah, but I don't know how long it takes to print stuff yet because. I don't have <laughs> still, still doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the small problem of, of basic functionality. Oh, man. Technology. I forgot all about Thingiverse. It's funny you bring that up. You need to put that in the show notes. Absolutely. You know what? I'll model a Wave PHP logo and put it up on Thingiverse. How's that? Here you go. Perfect. Or a PHP ugly logo if you're gonna go that route. No, I want I want it to be downloaded once or twice. <laughs> All right, uh, I guess NPM had some more excitement happen this week. Did you uh, read about this? <laughs> yeah, the poor guys oh. at NPM, man. You know they they they've done so much for that platform, and they just constantly end up on the short end of the stick of this. So, I mean, we can talk, we can talk about some of the history and how like people started going over to, to yarn because, uh, of the lot, like things like the lock file and the NPMs like, Oh yeah, we, we got the lock file, but they had issues where, uh, these rogue, uh, not rogue. I don't know why I said rogue, but developers would pull their packages down only to discover like, Four billion other packages depended on that package. It basically broke the whole NPM network. Um, <laughs> you know, they're just these constant little problems. And I think this specific issue is something that has come up before. And it's, I guess, resurfaced where... I don't know. Uh, I've never seen this before. This is you, such a bizarre... Man, the, the, the story sounded so... like. When it got pointed out to me, I'm like, "This, this is an old story, right?" But, it, but it's not. It, it wasn't an old story. Um, I guess the update to MP, the npm package. Do you remember what version it is? I, I'm pulling it up now. Uh, five point seven point zero. Five point seven point zero. I guess yeah. there was some bug in there that basically changed change the permissions on a bunch on an entire directory that it shouldn't have changed permissions on and would just like hose your complete network and, yeah so uh, if you if you sudo npm and uh, just if you run it not even if you run a command or anything if you do sudo npm help even then oh, really yeah then it would ch own uh etsy user boot root 
<laughs> uh, user bin. Why is it stuff? even in boot root? I mean, why is it even there? Why are we still allowing people to sudo run stuff? <laughs> it, it's just it's bizarre. But I mean, the just the comment thread on this is it's the perfect form of dark humor for people for tech people. Juggy uh Juggy commented this destroyed three production servers after a single deploy exclamation <laughs> got sixty two thumbs up, thirteen thumbs down, seventy two smiles, fifty eight sad faces, twenty seven hearts, <laughs> and three hundred and thirty celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so and this affects a lot of stuff, too, because this affects uh, people running Laravel with React or Vue. Vue was depending on NPM, so if you manage to update it to the newest version, then that's bad. I guess one of the things I was having trouble following was whether or not... Was this a pre-release, or was this the production release? This... Because it seems are, like the, it seems like the thread goes back is... and forth. <laughs> Yeah, people are claiming that this is a pre-release, but other people are saying that according to Semver, this isn't a pre-release. And then people are pointing at a npm JS post that says, "Hey, this might be a pre-release." <laughs> nope, don't see, don't see that. Mm. Uh, either way, again, a... we've mentioned this in the past, and I'll mention it again. It does bring up a good point. A, a good exercise that we need to do with our own code bases and evaluating our dependency on other packages and other other workflows and other systems. And as as applications become more and more abstracted and more and more dependent on services, you know, this plays a huge role in day to day operations. Uh, if you're in this you know if you if you do this for a living like like we do i think so, if something like this were to happen to composer you know that would be painful and you know, i don't know there's a whole lot of checks and balances in place for a composer to make sure that this doesn't happen um and it it doesn't have to be this exact thing it's but something similar to it everybody's uh, at least in my world you know just about every application i have out there now is dependent on composer if Composer goes sideways on me, if if an application goes, if if a package goes sideways on me, it could be a painful process. Um, so yeah, it's it's really. I mean, I, I I feel I feel the pain that for these for people in the npm community or the Node community. Well, it doesn't even have to be Node, right? We everybody's using npm now. Um, I have npm. I use npm on every project I have. Right. Uh, so. It's you know this this is a this is this is a painful thing. Um, yeah, it's something to think about. I I see a lot of posts out there about trying to become less dependent on packages. Like, don't pull in a package just to do two or three things. You know, it's like if if a package <laughs> is handling a lot of complexity, that's what's so funny. I would like to point you to my new favorite package okay i have to drop this in the in the slack, slack channel okay this is a what's this proper Holy solid 
proper solid dry library for adding one number to another. <laughs> oh my god. Are you kidding me? That's all this it, does? It includes the number collection object, the simple number object, the collection item number proxy, the simple number string parser, the callback iterator, the addition operator, the arithmetic operation, the <laughs> operation stream, the engine, the calcule and calcule runner classes. So you simply wow. instantiate impressive. number collection and instantiate a number parser, parse your two numbers, pass them as new simple number objects into the collection item number proxy, and then using the number collection object, pass the proxy for the first number in and the proxy for the second number in, and call the add command. Now the add command is going to need the addition operator, which may be different depending on your system. So you'll pass in the addition operator and the arithmetic operator, and then pass the results of that into the engine, pass the engine into the calculation front end, which I believe is an interface pattern, pass the interface pattern into the runner object, and execute run, and you will have the result of 1 plus 1. I, I think that might be a podcast first. You just did a play-by-play of an entire PHP uh, script there. That was... I was actually pretty impressive. I you you I was riveted. I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I was... aim to entertain. <laughs> I love yeah, I love that, this because this it's is solid though. I mean that's that's the thing. It's it is. solid. You, it's you it's can't... the perfect example of solid design taken too far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So back to what we were talking talking about. <laughs> I've been trying to I've been trying to be less dependent on packages, and it's so hard, especially when you have, you have people like uh, Spotty out there. Or Spatty, you think it's Spotty or Spatty? We have this conversation Spatty. today. Spatty, yeah. Especially when you have people like Spatty out there who just kick out the packages who that that do the most. You know, they can do like a lot of mundane things that it's like, okay, hey, cool, somebody wrote a package for this. I don't have to write the fifteen to twenty lines of code myself, and I, I've got a. I, I've been trying to break myself of that habit, and it's it's hard. Like, like Guzzle. Guzzle is a big one for me. I I will pull in a. I will pull in Guzzle in every project, whether I'm using it or not, just in anticipation in anticipation of having to use it. And it's like it's not that difficult to make a curl command. It's not that difficult to make. Uh, you no, know, a, but it's ugly. Curl uh, is. The not, the not curl really. exec and curl setops stuff is such a an artifact of PHP four that I'm amazed that it still exists in the form that it does. Really, I don't have that big of a problem. But I, but, but but that's that's just an example. There, there are packages that I, I just I can't live without anymore. Like Carbon is a big one for me in, in Laravel with, with working with. Uh, with uh, time timestamps and stuff, I I can't do it without carbon. I know Cake has a, has a version as well. I forget what they call theirs. And there's a couple. Of, I think there's a couple packages out there, uh, but carbon isn't Laravel specific either. You can use carbon anywhere. And I just I I don't think I could ever go back to ha- having to manage uh, timestamps and and time management myself with code because carbon does such a great job. Yeah, in Cake, it's just uh, the timestamp behavior and the time no, it hasn't, object. 
it has another cool name. I'm pretty sure it has a cool name. Um, L18N? No. I forget. I can't remember it off the top of my head. And Now you're going to make me look it up, so you're going to have to do some filler talking. But Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab myself a beverage refresh. What? We don't do beverage so, refreshes on the show, Thomas. We do We do every episode. I just usually do it when you and John are talking. Oh. And unfortunately, John is uh, vomiting out every hole right now. So <laughs> It's not a picture I needed in my head. So, so Thomas is back from getting his drink. I don't know where you put that cut at, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll welcome you back. Uh, I was looking at the Cake PHP documentation, and it, it was called Kronos. It, it, you're right; it does look like they they call the uh, the utility now time. Um, I think prior to three five, it was called Kronos, and actually prior to three two, they were using Carbon. So that that's kind of kind of cool. So Kronos is what what they use to power time, which is their kind of carbon replacement for cake php but you're saying your your interest in the see i i i started I looking back in, in cake yeah i started looking back into cake um like i said i i, I you know i'm constantly looking at other frameworks you know from a business perspective and making sure you know we have good things implemented and i have a history with cake and i i am a fan of it and i'm a fan of the community the cake community is a, a fantastic community larry masters is a fantastic person he's kind of the the head of the the cake uh, community and the head of the project and um he's he's pinged me on a, a couple of things he's a super nice guy uh but yeah I, i've thought about getting back into cake um i'm really trying to like i i i, I I stuttered, stepped on it. Where I, I started, I find I found myself going deeper, deeper into cake again. And I, I took a step back real quick. I'm like, okay, wait, let's look at this from a business perspective. You know, is cake cake the the route I want to go? And that's when I started looking deeper into Symphony. I, and I haven't abandoned cake by any means, but I feel like I have enough of a basis with cake, and I have enough of an understanding of the cake workflow and what cake brings to the table where I don't have to do that deep dive like I need to do with a framework like Symphony where I haven't really worked with it a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of just everything cake. Um, yeah. And every time, every time you bring it up, I keep wanting to get my fingers back into it again. But I mean, I mean, seriously, Thomas, if, if all you do is, is kind of, uh, hover around lurk in the shadows of the cake community and just see some of the conversations that go on and how supportive everybody is with everybody else. Uh, they, they're, they're one of the few open source communities that I participate in that actually have a community manager that in really, you know, yeah. So, so cake has a community manager that sends out updates on the cake community. And I still get those emails and read through them. Um, cake has got, is a real solid, solid group. The only issue you would probably have trying to get into cake, the community is very welcoming and it's very open, but it's also very established. And like a new person kind of getting into a framework, that can be intimidating. It can be kind of difficult to find your place. Um, but yeah, I I would I still would recommend a cake and 
Yeah, but after my keynote at Wave PHP, it's going to be my my name will be well known. You think you you think yeah. you're just gonna yeah? We'll see. I say charge as long as it doesn't start with the phrase "charges pending." I think you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, fun you fact. Wanna... Fun oh. fact. The first presentation, the first PHP presentation I ever did for anywhere, but specifically for SDPHP, was a talk on cake. So, fun fact. Well, there you go. You got to tweet that out from the Wave PHP account. <laughs> well, I want to cover some news. There's not a whole lot of news this week, but there's a couple things I want to cover. Okay. Is that, that sounded like a pleading okay, like... No. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, no, no. Um, Feel free. Yes. The first one is is GitHub. Uh GitHub has decided that there will be no more anonymous gists. Wait a minute. I didn't see that. Yep. Oh wait, anonymous gists. So they can still be public. They can still be they can still be public, but you have to tie an account to it now. I didn't you realize you could. I, I didn't realize you could up. make anonymous guests. Yeah, I, 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 you I used don't think I even knew to. that was a thing. I guess I'm presenting the news a little late to you then, because now you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been. I could have. I didn't have to let people know this whole time. I was the one doing this. Oh man. Yeah, I guess Shoot. they had a problem with spam, and it's just too big to manage. So they're removing anonymity, and know, that's not a big deal. Fair, uh, yeah, I don't think so. But it does go it does go down in the news column. There is something coming up though that is a big deal, okay? Which is a new change in Chrome. Uh, another change in Chrome? Yeah, you know how when you go to uh, an HTTPS secured site, it gives you the mm-hmm. little green lock icon. Mm-hmm. And and if you go to one that isn't HTTPS, which I there we go, it it just doesn't give you anything. It gives you a, a little gray eye icon. It's an eye with a circle around it. Doesn't really say anything too descriptive. Doesn't draw attention to itself. However, starting July, they will now be giving you a red triangle. And the text not secure on any site that does not have an HTTPS certificate. How do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know confidence. if I have a problem with it. Uh, but then I realize how knowledgeable I am with this. And I realize when I see that, I understand what it's saying. My only concern is that somebody like my mother or somebody less technically savvy will go to a website, will see that, and just assume, oh no, my computer's been compromised. Let me call my tech son, tech daughter, tech relative, and ask them a hundred questions and find out how compromised my system is. I think I think uh, the pictures I saw seem potentially misleading as to alarming yeah a little alarming a little that's that, yeah. that's a better word not not really misleading just more alarming than they they really need to be um and 
yeah, let's be realistic. There's still sites out there that don't require HTTPS. You know, it's there are brochure sites out there that function perfectly fine without HTTPS. Now, I, I was um, going to agree with you. Okay, but but I don't. Let's not have that. That's that would that would be crazy talk. Yeah, I I have thirty tabs open right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. And only two of them don't have security certificates. Right. And those two are both local dev instances of my site. Okay, well, those... Come on, dude. Those don't count. Exactly. So, so, of, so the the, 30, of the 30-something tabs but you're not I have answering open, my question. all of them are... No, no, but you're not answering my question. See, see you, you have a tendency to do this. You don't, don't distract the question. I don't think there's like, a site to, that you, your mother would go to... You go that to you go, secure. go to any brochure site. Go to wavephp.com, right? Does that require a certificate? No, it probably no. should. It's insecure. It says right here, it says not secure. <laughs> there is a certificate on it. It just doesn't auto-direct you. But but we're getting off topic. You know, it's just a brochure site. Now, I would, I would contest, and again, wavephp.com would fall under this, I would be happy to say, say if if Chrome detected a form on the on the site, then being a little bit more alarming with the fact that it's an insecure site because the form kind of implies somebody's submitting information. So if there's a form on the site, then yeah, go ahead and do that. But if you hit a brochure site, you know. Your your lo- your kids. If it's yeah, if it's straight text, then choir, why is there? Why does anyone right. care? Exactly. There's no form on it. There's no inputs on it. Who cares? So it's I would not... say I would say by the same note that is if if you're trying to stop people from running now, I, I I the assumption here is that someone is running a dubious domain and they're generating hundreds of subdomains that are dubiously named and they're trying to spoof a website's URL, then this would throw them off because they'd have to have a, a security certificate for every subdomain. But, but with Let's Encrypt now, that's, that's not, not even an issue. It's not hard. Yeah, you can bash yeah. script that in a couple minutes now. So it seems like a case of too little too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and the fact that Chrome forms are still grossly insecure is a bigger problem to me, where... Mm. If you use the autofill function of Google Chrome, then it will fill hidden fields. Hmm. So you can have a field that says, what's your first name? And if you type in ERI and it asks you to autofill the rest, then the hidden fields that have your address and credit card number, well, maybe not your credit card number, but maybe, the hidden fields that are named address one, address two, street, city, zip, they're all hidden, but they get filled out with the same autofill data, which is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Hidden fields should not get populated from autofill. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm not opposed to what Google's doing. I just wish they would be a little more sensitive as far as how they present it. And I, I would I, I, I would like to see it be a little bit more intelligent. And like, like, we said, like I said, if it doesn't detect any inputs, hidden or otherwise... Then don't don't bother. Besides, besides search, it. search is very common. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. Well, and I also don't like 
the lack of community around it as well. When when Google announces something like this, it's a blog post that just says Google's doing this now, and it's on the security blog for some guy, and it cross references just Google's really quick and dirty post on their blog. But Firefox has a guy, mm-hmm. or has has lots of people. Um, who, when something new is coming out for Firefox, if it's their baby, they come out and say, hey, this is my thing. What do you think of it? Tell me about it, and I'll respond to it. You know, Grumpy Programmer is, works for for Firefox. Firefox, yep. And when he's got something cool coming out that he wrote, he blasts it out to all of his listeners, and they say, hey, that's cool, or hey, this is a problem right here, and it's addressed by him, you know? Mm-hmm. And having... Having a blog post that represents all developers and just this is the way it's going to be now is a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it speaks to the difference between Firefox and, and Google in general. I still really want to like Firefox, but just can't. I'm trying. I, I try. I keep I keep every couple of days, go back to it. I, I still have an issue with... Um, well, I still have a resource issue, which... Oh, dude, let's talk about resource issues for a second. My freaking storm is starting to kill me. I don't know. Yeah, if me there too. Was, I don't know if there's something with a recent update, but my damn storm is just chunking away at my system resources to the point 2018, where... 2018, the 2018.1 update has started indexing very slowly and not getting out of its index loops in a timely fashion. I've noticed Maybe that and haven't it. mentioned it to anybody. Yeah, I, uh, I I used to run Storm just all the time. So and my whole argument was that for people who, who, would, who would say how long Storm took to start up, I'd be like, well, if you code for, for a living, you just keep it running. And that's how I would be. I would just keep Storm running all the time. Now I have to shut it down every night because if I don't shut it down... I come back and I have the little pop-up warning of memory usage and too much memory usage. And, man, it is absolutely killing me. Um, I see Ted Ted Nugent in our chat yelling at him, which if you're uh, you're a listener to the show, if you're a listener to the show, Adam, you would know I was pushing Adam hard there for a while. I was actually using it fairly regularly and then visual studio code kind of stole the thunder for me on adam and if i have to replace php storm today i feel fairly confident i could do it with visual studio code i haven't fired up my adam now that you mentioned that ted i haven't fired up my adam and holy smokes man it's been a while i should do that just to see how many updates i'm behind but yeah um uh, Adam and, and Visual Studio Code. It's it's interesting because, like I said, we had a we had a really big turnout at our user group uh, yesterday, and that's always one of the conversations, especially new people have. What tools do you use? What what are you using? And it's easy for for the professionals, for the people who make a living off of it, especially with the Diego Dev people. You know, everybody uses uh, uh, Storm, PHP Storm, but oh, you know, I'm. And- you guys do a meetup giveaway for PHP Storm, right? We do. Yeah, yeah. So and I think everyone at the meetup now has a copy of PHP Storm. <laughs> Jet JetBrains is pretty pretty generous with that. Yeah, um, 
but I, I always feel like there there is a, a, a level of commitment to understand what other tools you can offer people that they don't have to pay for. And by far, uh, Visual Studio Code today is my front runner. If somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, what should I what should I use to get started?" I I don't I don't make money doing this. That's where I'm pointing them. Now, when you say it's your front runner, you mean it's your strong second place because I know for a fact that you are a vimaholic. I am a vimaholic, yeah. But no, I yeah, and, and I I I concede a vim is an acquired taste. I would I I don't know if I would ever I don't know if <laughs> like, the, in this day it's and a age I, of the programming environments. <laughs> oh, I would push somebody down vim's path. But I do have a lot of developers, uh, especially w- within the DAU Dev group. Marcus Moore being one of them. Uh, uh, David uh, is another one, who are who are seem fascinated by my Vim usage in tools like Atom, like VS Code, like PHP Storm, and they're they're starting to appreciate the 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 workflow, the Vim workflow. So I, I'm Vim to I die. I, 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 we just had this conversation. I, I cannot get my head around the reaching for the mouse. The reaching for the mouse. It yeah. drives me nuts. Now, I realize I'm probably somewhat of an extreme case on the other, other uh, direction in the sense that, like, I came from Vim. Vim is what what I use. I use Vim in all my IDEs. I use Vim mouse, plugins. If your mouse is broken, you wouldn't know it for three days. <laughs> I use Vim plugins on my browser. Yeah, if my mouse battery dies, it usually takes me about a week to figure it out. <laughs> but I get uh, the feeling that in a well lit room, you would recommend Visual Studio Code, but in a dimly lit alley, you'd be whispering Vim. Just just stick with Vim. It really just does everything you need. No one needs a mouse anymore. Fun fact, my second talk at SDPHP was on Vim. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I did do one, but... <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm i glad you mentioned PHP Storm getting laggy because I thought it was just me. Oh, yeah. And it's not only... It, it's not only is it doing the whole uh, memory dump where it, it gives you the, the warning. It says, hey, you know, I got to do a memory dump or shut down the app or something. But... Like near, like near the end of the day, all my keystrokes seem to lag. Like I feel like I'm yeah, typing yeah. ahead of the ID, which is a classically Java problem that I experienced a lot with Eclipse, but I never had a problem with 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 PHP Storm. So that's are, are you are you seeing that too? I am. Man, it or, drives me or nuts. Or I'm seeing auto autocomplete is not uh, popping up when it should. Yep. yep. Uh, and even on simple stuff, autocomplete, the one I've had a really big problem with is autocomplete on a constant on a class. So calling it statically, I don't even get the autocomplete, which that should be a really, really simple one to resolve. And again, talking about the Vim plugin, when those key when those keystrokes are lagging behind, that Vim plugin for PHP Storm really starts to act weird. Like it, you know, it misses keystrokes and things start to really go kooky on me. So I don't, I hope they fix it. I hope they fix it. I got, I got one last thing here in the uh, news for you. All right. Let's do this this. one. This one. I just don't even know about 
It's a new RFC for PHP. Immutable classes. Uh, this has come up before, hasn't it? I don't think it's come up as an RFC, as a defined uh, scope of a class. Because this adds a whole new scope to classes, which is immutable. Right. So I, I, I after instantiation, it's done. Yeah, I've heard this conversation before. Maybe it wasn't an RFC yet. And the the discussion around whether this is even something we need in our platform, I don't know. Um, I think it has some validity. Uh, I think one of the arguments was made that, if I remember correctly, was that immutability helps put PHP in line with other languages as far as kind of the expected um, implementation. Um, I know there's a, there, there's pushback from a lot of people of, hey, this isn't something we need, so it's not anything we've ever had. Uh, what What's your opinion on this, John, um, John Thomas? Jamas? Jamas. They give an example of an immutable money handling class. And I That's think it is, it is really, it is the best possible example. Um, I think that if you're looking at an environment with three programmers, this is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at an environment with a hundred programmers, then this could very easily be a big deal where you could say that, class immutability is defined by the CTO and <laughs> to use the term immutable requires sign off on somebody to say this class is perfect the way it is you may not override methods if you're handling money in any way you have to call the immutable money class you have to now one of the things it doesn't bring up is the naming convention they do say here's an example of a user class and here's an example of an immutable user class. I think part of the RFC should at least mention if you're making a class immutable, you should say the name of this class is immutable user. Hmm. Because having it as part of the class definition is not clear enough. I, I do see that's one of the, one of the things the problems that I have here is if you look at how Microsoft operates on its code, Microsoft languages are designed for teams of 500, 600 people working together to produce something. Mm -hmm. And so when C sharp comes out and they rewrite word into C sharp, they want to make sure that all of the core functionality of how people in development teams interact with each other is still maintained in an enforced way on their language. And mm-hmm. I have a friend at Microsoft who I've talked with this about. And their their whole mentality is yes, when you're when you're implementing things that seem like they should be business rules, but they're actually strict strict rules on the language, it's because we don't want it to be just a business rule written down in a book. We want the code to represent the business rules. Mm-hmm. So this gives us the ability to implement business rules as code. And I think that pushes PHP further into the the terrifying quote-unquote enterprise world. 
It's not terrifying. It's a good way to make a living. Um, it, it is. Yeah. You, the the funny thing about these sort of R, RFPs and uh, RFCs and, and kind of conversations, and, and the thing that absolutely freaks people, again, like my mother out, was that end of the day, we are the gods. We are the coders. We can do so much bad stuff. Like, the fact that there's immutability in the platform itself doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean I have to take advantage of it. Doesn't mean I can't code around it. And the, the things we can do on a code level are, should terrify the crap out of people. <laughs> I, I think about it. Every time Every time I log into like a, a site, even if it's a site like Google or something, anytime I have to type in like a password, I'm like, there's nothing stopping them from grabbing that password, from doing something else with it, from just keeping a dictionary of common passwords used. You know, it's just like we as developers can do so much without anybody ever seeing it. Well, just so just porn, just Pornhub. Pornhub has an analytics group that produces fancy reports based off of everybody's search results and activity. Do you know how Pornhub ranks most popular scenes? Scenes? No. How long is it paused? Nope. If it's the last one you watched, it gets upvoted by one. It's an internal (laughs) system. They have an internal ranking system where the videos that are watched last in a session get an automatic vote up. Uh, and I swear to God, A, hilariously brilliant, but B, that kind of data collection is going on at Google. They're just not sharing it with us. Yeah. You know, yeah. That Pornhub makes these cool graphs and charts that explain how the nuclear threat in Hawaii affected people from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Google already knew that and had a really fancy report for it, but did not release that to the public because they don't think it's funny. They think it's money. So did Pornhub, as a matter of fact. True. And Por- Pornhub released theirs, which I thought was pretty funny. But the whole the whole thing, I mean, just, there's just so much. And but while I agree, while I agree with you is that yes, we are the gods, and in the end, these are all ones and zeros, and we can we can screw with them however we want. There is the issue of pull requests as well, where if somebody is making a pull request that overrides the corporate library for handling money, then that throws a red flag. You would hope, yeah. You know, so, yes, yes, we can screw with things as much as we want to, but putting business rules into code isn't necessarily a bad idea either. Yep. All right. And Thomas, I told you, I, I don't think we don't would miss it. John. I'm not sure what he brings to the table besides his oh. stunningly good looks and even kill conversations and intelligence i'm not sure we need family. any of that on this show huh no. well, i mean we clearly don't need intelligence no and good looks i mean we're, we're literally called php ugly you know <laughs> yeah I mean? we're both married what do, what do we need <laughs> but i do think we have had we have conversated long enough we've we've I, filled the required allotted time i, I think uh, my my parole officer will be will be pleased with my uh community service this week so i highly disagree <laughs> if this is your community service you are in trouble no 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 <laughs> you've, 
All right, Mr. Rideout. I'm call I'm calling this show. What what did we say this was? Episode ninety six? Ninety six. Dude. I'm proud ninety six. Rocking and rolling to triple digits, man. Alright. That's gonna be it for episode ninety six of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep, Keep it, it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.